Welcome to the pulse that moves the triangle world today. This one-size-fits-all broadcast is a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, helpful tips, what's trending, events, and boundless other adventures. It's a conversation pit of comedians, politicians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Inspreffer. Hi, friends. Have you heard about this group, Face Mask Warriors? Face Mask Warriors is a collaboration of over 17,000 volunteers across the United States, and they're saving lives by donating much-needed personal protective equipment, PPE. Remember the time when we didn't know what PPP was, and now it's just (laughs) another word in our vocabulary thanks to COVID? Well, again, this group, Personal Protective Equipment, what they're doing to help the global pandemic is in the form of handmade face masks to those in need. Kirsten Osnick, the National Coordinator of Face Mask Warriors, is with us today. Welcome. So I'm hoping you can tell us more about Face Mask Warriors. Yeah, I would love to. So Face Mask Warriors is a group of 51 organizations that are loosely, you know, distributed, one for each state and one for D.C. So we were started by a lady named Lori Sorensen, who lives in Michigan. She decided on March 20th to take action and create all of these groups and try to get people through Facebook to sign up and organize making masks. So that is basically the long and short of it. A couple of months later, we've gone from one single post to 17,000 members and counting. What do you attribute to the fast growth of this grassroots effort? A lot of it is simply the nature of Facebook. It's sharing that information, sharing resources, bringing other people into the individual groups, and then having all the groups collected with Lori as the head of all of that. It really helps to unify us, streamline us, and and get everybody together on the same page. Yeah, there is a lot of power to Facebook. That's to be sure. Um, do you think there's a convenience factor there too? Um, it's not like, you know, a membership and signing up to an organization. It's just, you know, this easy portal. I think it kind of had to be something like this because all of a sudden all of us were quarantined. It wasn't like you could just go and meet with your neighbors and do a little selling circle. Everything had to become online. So Facebook really was a power for good in this instance. So you're in Cary, North Carolina. Tell us how you first heard about the face mask warriors. Like, how did you even get to the point of being aware of this? You were just scrolling through Facebook or or how did that happen? Yeah, exactly. Um, A friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. So a friend of mine posted this that Lori had made as a public post. She'd sent it to me. I sent it on to other people. It grew like that. And so I joined the North Carolina Face Mask Warriors group. And it, I think when I 
started probably two or three hundred people in that group, and we've grown to over twenty eight hundred. It's just been amazing. Well, that's really something. So I didn't realize the, the spidering of that. Um, and by that, what I mean is, uh, so how did it become organized that it was the North Carolina group as opposed to individuals seeing this and just sewing and sending it out to Michigan, for example? Well, a little bit of that does happen, especially towards the beginning of the emergency, the national emergency, when there was such a need in New York City, a lot of people banded together and shipped, shipped face masks out. But in, in more cases, it's a response to hospitals that have put out this plea for masks. It is a response to um, county emergency services that have asked for them, uh, fire departments. We've had police departments. Once we got through those requests, they just kind of came from a neighbor had heard it or the website for a hospital had said, this is exactly what we need. It grew that way, I think, is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about that a little bit more. But first, let's just finish with your personal experiences. Was there any particular reason you wanted to join this group? Like, did you know someone who maybe had COVID or um, you know, what was your um, reason for, for wanting to get in on this? Well, my son is 10, and he has uh, an immune-compromised pulmonary system. For me, learning about COVID and watching it spread throughout Europe and China was absolutely terrifying, hearing that it affects mostly the lungs and the heart, and that even in Italy, children were not being seen. Terrifying. We have an amazing pulmonary team at UNC Chapel Hill, which is where we go, but even they were overwhelmed with questions and, is it safe to come in? So I spent a couple of weeks just paralyzed with fear, and I'd read this and I thought, wait a minute, I know how to sew. I could make something for him. I could make something for us. I could make something for our friends. And it, it honestly became for me a way to stop being afraid and just feel like I had a small bit of control over preventing the virus from getting into my house. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. I, I, you know, that I think is the, I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to COVID is this lack of control we've had over it or not had over it, especially living in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. And I think initially a lot of people that were called to this either knew somebody that had COVID, knew somebody that was at risk for COVID, or were in a position where they had the skills and the ability. You know, when I first thought of this, I, I literally looked at the corner of the room that I was in and thought, I have a big stash of fabric right there. I know how to sew. And it, I think it was sort of an epiphany for a lot of people. I can help. And it just, it really took off from there. Because if you know that you have the ability to sew, you absolutely know other people that can sew as well. So when you say you know how to sew, what is your sewing experience? I mean, I, I am uh, not young. <laughs> I learned how to sew in middle school. I took home ec. 
Um, and I, my mother sewed and taught me. Um, right now, I don't, I mean, I don't do a lot of it, but my daughters are in Girl Scouts. My son is in Cub Scouts. So we just started again sewing patches on their vests. And I have taught them how to hand sew, embroider, and use a sewing machine. So at this point, I had, you know, a lot of my fabric is Girl Scout fabric. But yeah, I've gotten right back into it in the last couple of years as they've gotten older and needed more um, things on their vests and their sashes and their Girl Scout friends needed more things. We do some. I'm not an expert sewer. This is not, it's a hobby. Um, but it's, it, they're very simple to make. Even I can make one. I want to say if I can make one, anyone can make it. <laughs> but yeah. So you went from getting involved on this level and... And I'm curious how you jumped into the role of national coordinator. Well, I think that was also very um, grassroots sort of thing. When Lori created all 51 groups, it was impossible for her to run each one. And so immediately had put out this question, if you know how to run a group on Facebook, let me know and I'll add you as an admin. And myself and several other people in North Carolina all sort of raised our hands and said, I know how to do that. Um, we then started coordinating nationally, and she brought all of those 51 groups together nationally. And I think identified very quickly some of the states that were very, very active, some of the states that still maybe don't have a lot of need for face masks to be created like this. So between those, I don't know, six or seven of us that were initially very active, she just kind of said, well, you guys are doing great. Who wants to do this nationally? And again, a few of us sort of raised our hands. And within a, about a month of starting this, she asked me to take over nationally and run all of this. And I have. So what is your role as the coordinator? Like, what all do you do? A lot of it is working to get our volunteers into a system where we're all using the same tools. We're all contributing to a map. We're all reaching out within our communities to tell each other this hospital really needs it or this community is just absolutely in need. We're very fortunate in North Carolina to have a group of sewers, especially in the Triangle, who are producing more than we need in hospitals and more than we need in nursing homes here. So we're able to ship them, deliver them. It's like that in a lot of cities and a lot of So coordinating efforts where we have volunteers that do want to ship across state lines, that's something that I do a lot of. But it it really is more of a communication sort of a thing. How do we all talk to each other? How do we all... I I just last week was able to find a really good purchase of elastic from one of the coordinators in Nevada. So it's more of that kind of facilitating So now the nitty-gritty. Let's talk masks. Tell us everything. How are they made? What are they made of? Do folks use their own materials? Yes. I guess the short answer is yes. How are they made? What are they made of? Um, it, it, It varies. There are dozens and dozens of patterns that are available. A lot of them are available for free. The materials that we use, we do recommend as high a quality of cotton as you can get. A lot of this is based on CDC recommendations. We are very fortunate in North Carolina that the Wake Forest Baptist Hospital did one of the very earliest studies on 
what kinds of materials make the safest kinds of masks. What they found is that it's called cultured cotton. It's a very, very high-quality, high-spread count cotton. Two layers of that, preferably with an insert that is another type of material. Is that material easy to get? I just want to interject there a second. Um, Is that cotton easy to get that they're recommending or short supply now? It was. Mm -hmm. Initially, it was. And then it really wasn't. It's becoming more available as stores are able to reopen. A lot of Joanne fabric will carry them more now. You can get them in that. Uh, several of the national and actually local quilting shops, uh, fabric stores, anywhere. The reality is anything will work. Any kind of mask is better than no kind of mask. But when we're talking about putting something into a hospital situation, we want to get them the highest quality that is. And sometimes that means even a manufactured material that is not necessarily initially thought of as a face mask material, still really, really good for that. And we have had hospitals nationwide that are willing to donate materials that are then turned into masks and returned back to them. One of those is a hospital system in Florida had published at the end of March a really, really good study for that. And I think just any anything we can make, anything that you have, anything that you can get, a lot of times there's a lot of sharing of materials, sharing of resources, that, I think, just it, anything really helps. But as far as making them, it, it is not rocket science. It's not super difficult. And once you've made a few in whatever style or pattern that you were able to make, it becomes simpler. And a lot of it is, is a request specifically from a hospital or another facility. They want a certain kind, a certain material. Then the community is able to source that, find it, make it, and deliver it. I love the sourcing, you know, relying on each other to source these different materials and things. I mean, it sounds like a lot of what you do is the sourcing end of it. How long does it take to make a mask? Well, a good question. For me, it would take probably an hour or two because I haven't done it again in a while. But we have some neighborhoods right here in the Triangle that are able to make Six to eight hundred a week between them. I know it's amazing. It it is what everyone can do as they can do it. But I think on average, I don't even know. Some people several minutes, me an hour. The most time-consuming part is cutting out the material into a pattern. That it just takes time. Sewing it is not that difficult. Yeah, I, I guess, I, you know, I've seen things from, like you're saying, an hour, and then some people, once you do it enough, you get it down to a 15-minute kind of thing. So definitely is like what you're saying based on skill level and how how many you're putting out. Like anything else, practice makes perfect, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, and while we're touching on this, when you're talking about those folks putting out so many, what has been, you know, nationally, how many masks has this organization produced? Well, at um, Face Mask Warriors, last I checked, which was a week or so ago, we were at about 700,000 masks donated nationally. Okay, stop. Um, Stop, stop. We got to stop there. (laughs) 700,000. That's not something we just want to pass over. Oh my goodness. Hooray for all of you. 700,000 masks. Yeah, 
Do you know how many yeah. there are in just in North Carolina's end of it? I believe that we're just past 200,000. Don't quote oh. me. I do believe that's where we are. That's that's just amazing. That's just amazing. I wonder if people leave any kind of signature on the masks that they make. Have you heard anything about that? Typically, we don't. Um, and one of the reasons was very early on, the FDA has very strict guidelines about what is and isn't a face mask and what can mm. and can't be used in a hospital setting. Initially, their guidelines were very relaxed, and the, the rules were that you could give away a mask that was made, but you can't sell it. And so when you put a label on something that is encouraging it to be sold, even if it's just a signature or a little diagram or anything like that, right now the FDA's guidelines have changed a little bit. And if you are going to sell a mask, you have to have a label. And it needs to describe exactly what the content is and where it was manufactured. Because we're making them in our own homes and because they are exclusively donated, we deliberately don't put a label on them. Okay, well, that makes sense. Um, so the the other part of the story, we've talked mask, the other part, distribution. And, and we've danced around it a little bit, but let's talk in more detail where you have been distributing the masks. Well, it, it again, has really changed. When the quarantine first started, it was very difficult to even drive in a distance. Uh, scary not always, in some places, not even legal to just get in your car and drive around. So as the restrictions have been relaxed in North Carolina and in other states, it becomes a little easier. One of my coordinators said it's kind of like a sneaker system where you get in your car and you just drive it to where it needs to go. In a lot of cases, it is almost a chain. I can drive it from Cary to Greenville, and then someone in Greenville can get it to the next place and the next place. So it's very much a collaborative effort, but it is very, very, I wouldn't say it was super organized. I wouldn't say we had a distribution chain. Okay. Um, I know you mentioned that that sometimes you supply to farm areas, and that's an additional impact you're having there. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think it's kind of amazing. As, again, North Carolina has been able to supply so many hospitals, health care centers, police and other law enforcement, first responders, those requests are less. And so we did get a very large outreach request to donate to farm workers. In our opinion, we are giving masks to those who cannot acquire them on their own. Homeless shelters, um, domestic abuse shelters, food banks. For us, this is another way to help our community because if there are people that are delivering our food, picking our food, making our food, and they don't have the ability to protect themselves and their families, that is a community spread. And we can prevent that. We can help against that. That's, I mean, it just, the gift just keeps giving, right? I mean, my goodness, it, it goes into, now this is such a huge undertaking, but I understand you enlist an organization uh, called Find the Helpers, a nonprofit connecting volunteer groups to facilities facing supply shortages due to COVID-19. Tell us about that organization. 
So Find the Helpers is an organization that I'm also a part of. Um, it is a nonprofit network. So it doesn't necessarily create and distribute the masks themselves. We use their tools like a national map, um, a database system that is used by dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, little grassroots organizations like ours. They have a network of, I want to say, 65,000 volunteers. We all are able to collaborate together. So there are a network of organizations like mine. I'd say Find That Helpers is at a, almost 1.4 million donated. It doesn't include just face masks. It's also face shields, ear savers, lots of other devices that are needed by hospitals, health centers, law enforcement. But it's, it's a way for us to collaborate. And there's also a way for multiple groups in North Carolina may get a request and may find out that a hospital needs a certain number of masks. If we're all making the same kind and giving them too many, then the burden is on the hospital to find the right place for them. If they can all make one request and it all goes into a map and we can all coordinate, I've donated 50, this group's given 1,000, okay, we've finished their order, let's move on to the next. That's what Find the Helpers does. Good. Very good. So, you know, I don't sew. <laughs> if, if, a, if a button comes off my shirt, the shirt goes in the trash. I mean, I cannot sew. I've tried it. I've tried it. Like you're saying, my mom tried to teach me the machine. Oh my gosh, I nearly killed myself on a sewing machine one time. So I am not someone who sews. But I am, and I, I, I imagine other people are people that do want to help. So how can we help? Um, can you give us some some links, some sites? I mean, can we give you material, monies? I mean, what what can the non-sewer do to help in this case? All of those things are needed. Um, you can either go to safemathwarriors.com or findthehelpers.us, and there are lists that you can sign up either to create items or to help coordinate. We desperately need help coordinating. We need locations that can accept masks to be picked up and delivered other places. We need people that are willing to deliver those masks and, and materials throughout the state. We really need people to send those emails, make those calls, follow up with the hospital or another requester and say, have you gotten all the ones you need? Is there anything more that you need? For example, my team in North Carolina is, at this point, going back and following up with all the county organizations that initially requested and their orders are filled and saying, we know that storm season is coming. Do you need more masks in preparation for that? All of them so far have said, yeah, actually, we, we could use that. So it's as simple as having someone make those emails, make those phone calls, getting other groups involved so we cross-check those locations and what is and isn't filled. There's a lot to be done, either physically running around doing everything or right from home. I'm at home. That's what I'm doing. So, Triangle 411, last word. The floor is yours. Last thoughts. My last thought is that Everyone in our community can help everyone in our community. It doesn't have to be that you can sell 
or that you have a 3D printer or anything else. There's so much need in our community, and we really, really are trying to rise up and fight that need. Well, it sounds like a lot of people have answered that call, and perhaps listening to this, more will join. I do want to thank Mary Ann Etheridge. I know she is one of the people that have been sewing, and also Kay Purvis for telling me about this important story um, so we can get the word out about this and, and maybe get some additional sewers and helpers and callers and even maybe some monetary donations because those materials certainly are not cheap. So thank you so much for being with us today and for all you do. Thank you so much. Usually at this time in our show, we do our nonprofit spotlight. But with today's episode already centering on face mask warriors, instead, let's parallel with some CDC advice when it comes to protective coverings. The CDC recommends wearing cloth face coverings in public settings when you can, especially where other social distancing measures are difficult. They recommend when you put on your face mask to first wash your hands, be sure to cover your nose, mouth, and secure it under your chin, fit it snugly against the sides of your face, and of course make sure you can breathe easily. When taking it off, handle only by the air loops or ties, fold outside corners together, place it in the washing machine or hand wash, and when you're doing that, be careful not to touch your eyes, nose, and mouth. And of course, when you're done, immediately wash your hands. It's good to note that the CDC does not recommend face coverings for children under age 2 or for anyone who has trouble breathing or is somehow incapacitated. Heads up though, cloth face coverings will help, but don't get a false sense of security as they are not surgical masks or N95 respirators. Well, it's time to high-five and say goodbye. Thanks for joining us via Apple, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, etc. Or at our website, triangle411.buzzsprout.com. This is Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today, dot, 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 be a warrior, wear a mask. <laughs>